On today's episode of It's Always Something in Philadelphia, we talk about the Flyers and Sixers' recent losses, ending their own individual winning streaks, and hey, the Phillies, they've made it to Clearwater and spring training is here, if not right around the corner. Getting to the Flyers, they've been on a win streak, they've been on a little bit of a bender, right, been playing super well, had a real tough loss on Friday night, so let's just kind of recap it here. To start, even before the loss, really awesome news. Sean Couturier, named team captain, the 20th captain in Philadelphia Flyers history. And it's been it's been cool to see. Uh, Couturier is one of the longest-tenured Flyers. I feel like he's been on this team my whole life. I always remember, you know, in the past, the most recent addition to the Flyers, it was always Giroux and Couturier. Obviously, Giroux traded, and now Couturier being given that C on his jersey, that captain's title. And I saw a really cool video. It was back uh, when Couturier was, I guess, a rookie, a 19-year-old rookie staying at Danny Briere's house, who was, he was a player, and I guess had recently been divorced, and his kids were living there, and he had Couturier, his 19-year-old, living with him when he was a rookie, and that has resurfaced now that, you know, Danny Briere is the general manager of the Flyers, and here Couturier is now the captain of the team, so a cool full circle moment for those two, and, and a nice sort of, you know, non-on-the-books win for the Flyers to see something cool like that happen for so happy for him, uh, happy for Flyers fans. That's something to, to, to look forward to and be happy about. Now, in terms of this game, it was an interesting game. Travis Sandheim got the scoring started with another shorthanded goal for the Flyers, and it is absurd what the Flyers are doing shorthanded right now. If you don't know what that means, basically, um, in hockey, a team, if they commit a penalty, they can go on a power play, which means they'll have all five of their players, while the other team only has four players. The Flyers, for whatever reason, when they commit the penalty and have four players on the ice, are really good at scoring goals anyway. I don't know how or why that happens. Maybe the teams that have the power plays are are so focused offensively that they, they lack in intensity or, or, or sharpness defensively, and the Flyers exploit that. Maybe it's something Torts has you know, worked on a lot in the offseason and in practice, or maybe it's just kind of coincidence of, of hard work and effort paying off. I don't know. They have 13 shorthanded goals. Travis Sandheim adding to that one last night, giving the Flyers a 1-0 lead. And they had that lead through the entire first period. seemed like they were in control. They were, I think, almost doubling up uh, the Maple Leafs' shots in that game to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then we got to the second period, and it became the Austin Matthews show. And my goodness, was it a show. He ends up getting the natural hat trick, which is three goals all in a row as opposed to an unnatural hat trick, which I guess would just be three goals throughout the course of the game. He had them all bang, 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 pretty much in a row just like that. And he really took over the game in that second period. The Leafs were in the Flyers' side of the ice pretty much that entire period, taking over and not giving the Flyers any seconds to breathe. The first goal, Matthews was left pretty much for his standards, wide open on the left side of the net put that one in the back of the net, kind of too easy of a goal for him, and that sort of is what got him going. Then Flyers committed a penalty. Leafs had a power play. They almost had another shorthanded goal. I think it was Konechny. Almost had another one, just ended up missing it, and that completely turned the tides because then they go down and Matthews gets another goal, this one during the power play. Almost, yeah, Matthews on the floor in a power play. You kind of expect them to, to put some heavy pressure on, if not score, so that, that was expected. And then the third goal, I think there was a deflection by Matthews. Erickson made a pretty good save. It got back out, but Matthews got the puck again, sort of centered right in front of the goalie, a couple players in front of him, 
and just took a wicked, beautiful shot. It's sort of, and they were explaining on the broadcast, like he, it almost looks like he, he curves it after he sort of flicks it with the, with the, with his stick. He gets it around his defender and it gives it some movement that as a goalie, it, it's so hard to read, nearly impossible to get your glove up and stop that going over your shoulder. So Matthew showing why he's one of the best players in the NHL, one of the leading goal scorers. He's looking on pace to break his own record, his personal record for goals in the season. So, you know, tip of the cap to him and obviously that all the caps went on the ice for the hat trick. So he took over that game in the second period and it, it left the Flyers seeming like, okay, this game got out of hand. It's out of reach. There's no chance they, they come back in this one. But then that third period came. And this is what's cool about this young Flyers team is they have a ton of fight. There's no, there's no quitting then, which you might expect for a team that had low expectations coming in the year. They've got a lot of fight. So we get into the third period and it ends up being, um, give me one second here. It's Garnett Hathaway who gives the Flyers life with the goal to cut the lead to 2-3. Not someone who maybe you would have expected not on that first unit type of guy, but he gets the goal, gives the Flyers a 2-3 deficit now, only with him one goal. And that's sort of all the energy you need to, to fight back. There's only one goal, you know, not, not undoable, un, you know, fathomable to come back from that one. So he gives them the goal. Arison is playing phenomenal defense in the net, making saves left and right, keeping the Flyers in it defensively. And then Flyers get a power play. Leafs commit a penalty, and that's all the Flyers needed. It's Travis Konechny who ends up getting the power play goal, assisted by Owen Tippett, a nice, beautiful goal, tying the game three-all, and leaving myself and many Flyers fans, I'm assuming, is thinking, okay, they've come all the way back. This game, they've got it now. They've got the momentum. They've got the energy. They've fought. They've, they've got this game, in hand, not in hand, but they, you know, I don't see how they don't go into overtime right now with the momentum and take this game over. Hockey. Does not work that way all the time. Uh, they end up losing in overtime. The Flyers were trying to make a change just on the ice stars, their personnel, just less than a minute in, and they end up kind of being shorthanded or not covering their guys that they're supposed to be covering. And it's Nylander who ends it, gets the goal less than a minute into overtime. So that one ends pretty quickly. But the positive news is the Flyers get a point uh, in the NHL. If you take a game to overtime, you get a point in the standings. So it's not all for naught. Um, for a game that was, you know, down 3-1 late in the second period or after two periods with one of their guys scoring a hat-trick and just pretty much owning your entire team, you'll you'll kind of chalk that up as a relative win, getting that point. That's what's kind of neat to me about, I know hockey does this and soccer does this, getting points for for, for tying, basically, for not winning. It's sort of a unique unique aspect to sports standings. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. It'd be interesting to see that, you know, in the NBA or NFL is kind of impossible, but like baseball, you know, if you – you go to extra innings and you lose, you get a point in the standings. It's kind of a, a unique category that, that hockey and then soccer have that some of the other major sports do not. So that, that is, uh, that is interesting. Um, speaking of the standings right now with that win or with that loss, the Flyers are third in Metropolitan. So if the regular season ended today, they would make the playoffs top three in the division, make the playoffs. So they are, and that gave them their 65th point. So they're tied in points with the Hurricanes, actually. They're just back a little bit on the win-loss record there. So they're in good shape, much better shape than they were expecting to be. Um, one thing that is a negative from that game is in that third period, looks like the new captain, Sean Couturier, looks like someone got him in the back, kind of slashed him in the back of the leg. And this was not called for a penalty. This was not called for a penalty, but it looked like he was really favoring and holding that back of his leg, and we don't know how healthy he is or how much that has affected him. 
mean, he's a hockey player. He's a tough guy. I'm sure he'll, he'll tough that out, and it, and it might not be as big as we're looking into. But if the fact that it was a no call and you could see him shaking up after that, that was pretty frustrating. Plus, inward, not a bad night getting that point and showing that fight from this Flyers team. And leading up to what should be a super fun night, Saturday, the stadium series against the New Jersey Devils. So anytime hockey can be outside, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it might be, in my opinion, one of the cooler like sports venue shakeups. You know, so they have this hockey game going on. They're gonna be playing at MetLife Stadium, which they're on ice, so can't complain about the bad turf because the ice will be on top of the turf. But playing hockey in, in an a NFL stadium, in an MLB stadium, it's always really fun. I think it's just there's something sort of majestic and beautiful about ice hockey outside, especially in a giant you know professional stadium for baseball or football or something like that. So that should be a fun one. The Devils, of course, division rivals with the Flyers, and they are up on them in the standings. They are seven points above them in the standings, and I think a couple wins above them as well. So a lot going into that one. It should be a lot of fun. should be some fun stadium uh, series jerseys as well. So a lot to look forward to, and I know I'm excited to watch this one. There's just something special to me about outdoor hockey. Uh, in my time working in, in Bend, Oregon, I've covered the uh, when the Oregon Ducks hockey team came to our local pavilion ice skating rink, and even that's a small sort of public ice rink. The town gets energized for and they sell out every time. And it's, you know, just two, you know, division one or club hockey teams playing. And that's a ton of fun. So when you put that on the NHL level, it's really one of the best experiences out there, I think, in terms of live sporting events. I know being going to a stadium series, a winter classic is is on my bucket list. So that one should be a fun one. The Sixers, not last night, the night before, they also ended their little two game win streak. They lost to the Heat closing out the first half of the regular season with a loss. It's it's a loss you can live with. I mean, it, it with every game they have without Joel Embiid, you can look at it two ways. You can say, hey, every win, you know, that, that's a blessing. You know, it's kind of, you don't expect to get any wins without Embiid, so every win is great. Or you can say, hey, we don't have Embiid. We need to scrape together every win we can get. And anytime you let one slip through your palms, that's not sort of a wasted opportunity. Um, this one felt a little bit wasted. They were in it the entire time. It was back and forth towards the end of the game. And just late in that fourth quarter, there was just really bad rebounding, really bad boxing out. Jaime Hawkins getting so many open looks, some bad decision-making, and it just kind of got away from the Sixers late in that game. So not necessarily the best close to a game. Um, Tyrese Maxey looks like he's not struggling, but it, it's it's tough. It's a new adjustment for him being truly the number one option and the leader and sort of having to do everything in terms of kind of being the spearhead of the team, you know, in this time without Joel Embiid, making some maybe uncharacteristic mistakes he would not make, you know, if Embiid were here, kind of some silly fouls or bad decisions when driving or bad shots. Um, but he's still playing great, still scoring north of 20 points a game, and he is an all-star. So, you know, I think this is good for him. To have this time, this long stretch without Joel Embiid will help him grow as a player and make him better when Embiid is back. Um, I think Buddy Heald being here has helped him spread himself out and play off ball. But I think just this time being that leader of the offense has been great. And him being a leader in general is something that has really impressed me. 
there was something, a report that came out or a question that Tyrese Maxey answered. And he was saying that he wants to be a leader. He wants to be someone that cultivates an accepting and friendly and family-like atmosphere in Philadelphia. He was remarking after Furcon got traded that it was, you know, Embiid, Tobias, and, and Maxey in terms of like longest tenured Sixers, which is crazy because it feels like, you know, just yesterday, Mike Muscala hit that shot and the Sixers got to draft Tyrese Maxey. So it's crazy that he is one of the longest tenured Sixers, but it's great to see him now that he's stepped up in terms of his on-court production, stepping up and wanting to be a leader, you know, texting Buddy Heald in campaign when they got traded and saying, hey, welcome to Philly, saying he's first thing he's doing after the break is going to visit Paul Reed's baby, which congratulations to B-Ball Paul, a little basketball adding to the family. Love to see that. But Maxie just making that family, that Sixers family atmosphere, making that a point to be a leader is pivotal for his development and I think for the teams because Joel Embiid, while he's been a great on-the-court leader in terms of production, some of his knocks have been he's really not super outgoing and and vocal as a leader. He's sort of a to-himself type of person, and that's okay. You never want someone to be something they're not. But having Maxi, who is the future, he's the franchise, be a more outspoken and passionate vocal leader that really goes out of his way to reconnect people, both you know publicly and privately, I think is great for this team with Embiid and for the future of the team whenever Embiid does decide to hang it up. So really great stuff from Tyrese Maxey off the court while his on-the-court stuff is, I mean, still great, but going through a little bit of an up-and-down adjusting to life without Embiid. Some more notes on the Sixers. Buddy Heald still looks great, still doing a ton of everything. He's obviously shooting great. He's passing pretty well. His defense has been fine. He's getting some rebounds. So I, I just cannot wait. We're going to keep saying it until Embiid comes back. I can't wait to see him with Embiid, that pick-and-roll game, that screen game, just the spread offense they can do, really opening up the floor. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be beautiful to see something we haven't seen since the J.J. Redick days, So, but with not as bad a liability on defense and with more sort of playmaking options when the ball's in his hand in terms of Buddy Heal. So super excited for that. Another note, Ricky Council. He looks good. He looks really good. I think he's earned his way to a, a real contract. Right now he's on a two-way contract, so he's a two-way with the Sixers and with their G League team, the Delaware Bluecoats. That's like their minor league team. So he basically has been called up because of injuries and illnesses and things like that. But I think he's played well enough to, to earn a real contract and a real roster spot. He is athletic. He drives hard. He can defend. He, he's got energy. He gets deflections. I mean, he's still not a fully, you know, rounded product, but for an undrafted free agent, it's kind of, that's as well as you can hit on someone without spending a draft pick. And once everyone gets healthy, it'll be interesting to see how he fits, you know, with Melton and Tobias in the full time and Nick Batum and Robert Covington will certainly fall down in the rotation. But having someone young and hungry like that, can be huge. And the biggest thing, you can see his confidence growing. He can hit some clutch free throws and not even, you know, sweat by it. He'll get the ball in crunch time and he'll drive or he'll pull up or he'll make a key defensive play. He's not afraid to be in that moment, whether he's going to rise into it or not. He's not afraid of it. So that's something that's super assuring to see. So rookie council, enjoy your all-star break. Come back and keep doing what you're doing because I'm enjoying seeing it. I know Sixers fans are too. Um, here we are in the All-Star break. Only one All-Star playing with Joel Embiid out, so Tyrese Maxey will be playing. I'm excited to see what he looks like. It's 
he's, I think, deserves and has earned this moment of kind of chumming it up with all the NBA superstars, Steph Curry, Durant, LeBron, whoever. It's going to be really cool to see him in that atmosphere making big plays and maybe crossing someone up or doing whatever and hitting a step back three in someone's face. It's just to see him in that echelon of players will be super fun, especially because, you know, preseason we were all like, oh, maybe Maxi could make that job. He could be an all-star. And then he played like a no-doubt all-star for the first half of the season. So I feel like we've all sort of accepted that, oh, yeah, you know, Tyrus Maxey's an all-star. But this will be his first time being with that tier of players. So I'm excited just to see what that atmosphere is like and what that camaraderie is like between him and the other superstars. Maybe he starts just his magnetic energy recruiting a little bit. I know we've got all the cap space and draft picks to make some trades and signings in the summer. So maybe Maxie's friendliness and his family-like atmosphere that he's bringing with his current Sixers team, you throw him in a pot with all the biggest stars in the NBA, who knows what happens. The other thing in terms of not the Sixers but NBA is, man, the Doc Rivers experience in Milwaukee is going just as we expected, just as I expected, but even qu- sooner than possible. They are 3-7 and seven with Doc Rivers, losing games left and right, and all he does is keep making excuses. It's always the players. It's always the atmosphere. It's the adjustment. It's this, it's that. It's, it's kind of phenomenal. I, I know the Bucks had their defensive issues before Rivers got there. That's why they fired Adrian Griffin. But, man, it's to see them go this bad is pretty impressive. I, I think they'll turn it around similar to Harding getting traded to the Clippers and the Clippers being bad at first. I think they'll find a groove and figure it out. They have Giannis. Who's one of the best players in the world? He's too talented for their team to be a sub 500 team. Plus, he had the offensive name and Brooke Lopez and those sorts of guys. So, um, I don't think they're going to be bad for long, but it is fun to see Doc Rivers sort of tank this team early and then immediately go into throw into the bus mode. I think in the last game they lost last night in his press conference, he said half our guys were here, the other half were in Cabo insinuating that they're ready for their all-star break vacation, which is just a crazy thing to do for a team you've coached for 10 games. But Doc Rivers, he will you'll see him, and you look for Tyrese Maxey, you'll see him there too, coaching him again, as he is the NBA East all-star coach because the Bucs had the best record at the time. Uh, or is that what they had it? Um, maybe, I think so. Or maybe they, they earned it. I'll have to double-check that. But um, he will be coaching the East either way, and he he joked that he said, "Oh, I got to give Adrian Griffin, you know, my my game check for that." Yeah, okay. Um, so a lot to look out for in the NBA All Star break. How will Doc fare with all of his old friends, and how will Maxi do with all of these All Stars? Finally, let's talk about the Phillies. They finally have started reporting. Spring training is on its way. Pitchers and catchers are there. I saw Trey Turner got there. Johan Rojas, he's looking strong. If you haven't followed his off-season uh, workout progressions, he's been posting some subtle baseball thirst traps on his Instagram. His arms are looking beefy. I know he got more or less embarrassed last year in the playoffs by not being able to do anything offensively and really being a target um, in those playoffs at the bottom of the order. So a big point for him, he said he's been hitting all season long. He says he hasn't stopped hitting wherever he's gone to. He's just worked on his offensive game, and he's clearly gotten bigger 
So excited to see how he starts playing in spring training early in the season, see how that bat looks. Right now it's just all preliminary pitchers and catchers, throwing infield drills, stuff like that. Nothing really to material to, to pull from at this point. Um, Trey Turner, he just got in. Of course, he was being hounded by Howard Eskin, uh, but he said he, he wants to improve his defense. That's a big emphasis for him last year. The slow start for him offensively and defensively, and then the standing ovation, he turns around offensively. But his defense was still surprisingly bad for someone of Trey Turner's caliber. Caliber, So that's something that he wants to turn around. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Zach Wheeler and the Phillies, they haven't come to a deal, but it sounds like they will. And they've been pretty open and honest about it. The Phillies obviously want him to stick around. Zach Wheeler said, I like being in Philly. We just have to work out a deal. So it just sounds like they just need to come to terms on a number. I, I don't see this going south unless they have two completely different ideas, unless, you know, Zach wants X up here and he wants Y. So um, I don't know about that. Well, my maintenance guy just came by uh, and interrupted uh, the podcast, but I actually turned out to be good news because breaking news live here as I'm recording this podcast, I was going to talk about the Phillies free agents and what they who they have and have not signed and talked about signing. Well, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, the Phillies have signed super utility man Whit Merrifield to a one-year $8 million contract. So he's a utility uh, infield outfield type of guy. With a, He's got a second-year option. And from what I'm reading on Twitter, and, and I agree, I think this is a great signing for the Phillies. He's a winner. He's a guy that can just go play where you need him. He's been – uh, with Toronto the past couple of years, played his first few years in Kansas City with the Royals. He's all-time. He bats around 260, 270. He's got an OPS of 698. Or sorry, these are his projections for this year. He's got an OPS of 750 for his career. So he should be a good player. This will help with Brandon Marsh, who I was going to mention in a second. I'll mention now. He had knee surgery. He had some swelling and inflammation there. Got surgery to deal with it. He should be back for opening day. But having a guy like Whit Merrifield gives the Phillies flexibility for Marsh. If Rojas isn't panning out, some different things to do defensively and offensively with this infield and outfield, especially in the outfield. So great signing for the Phillies. Breaking news live here on the podcast. So, yeah, my last note was still waiting for a free agent move. Well, we got one. And I have a feeling with Dave Dombrowski, this will not be the last one. But this will be the last one I'll talk about on this episode. I'll be back in a few days. We can wrap up the All-Star Game, the stadium series with the Flyers, and some more Phillies spring training updates. I'll see you guys next time.